0: Good evening, Good evening. Uh, tonight we will be taking a look at a, uh, at a topic that might not stand out to most people when reading through the Bible, and that is the, the symbolism we find in the way that fire is presented in the Bible, um, and when, when we think of fire, our, our first thoughts tend to either go towards where we found fire applied in the temple and the sacrifices, and we're going to look at some of those things. Uh, We're also going to look at how uh, fire is a symbol of God's judgment, but we sort of have this tendency to look at the fire from God as judgment in in the negative connotation of of condemnation, and what I hope to point out tonight is that it can also be a a purifying sort of testing uh, where once someone has been judged with this fire, they come out refined. We think of the the term, the refiner's fire. Um, And through that, hopefully we can make a little bit of application to the Christian life So in order to understand first why fire is an important uh, symbol to the Christian, we need to understand why it is important to God, and in order to do that, uh, we will look at first one of perhaps the most bizarre stories in the Bible, and we will be turning to Exodus chapter 3. And in Exodus chapter 3, we find the familiar, although sometimes underplayed, uh, story of the burning bush that that Moses encounters. (laughs) And we will begin reading in verse 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry, by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. So, the first thing that we notice is that the, the angel of the Lord, or as, as we uh, recognize him, the pre-incarnate Christ, and we see evidence for this in verse 6, uh, he, he appears as a flame in the bush, but the bush is not consumed, and so that leads us to wonder— why not? Um, some people might say that it was just the appearance of flame and not a real flame. Uh, I'm more of the opinion that it was indeed a very real flame and that something else was taking place here. We see that in uh, in verse 1 at the end of verse 1 that Moses led the flock to the mountain of God. Uh, this is a mountain that to the children of Israel in a few years' time would be, uh, be a spot that they returned to. Uh, this is a spot that the Lord had declared holy. Um, and that is why he tells Moses, uh, as we see in uh, verse, excuse me, verse 5, that he is not to approach this place but that he has to take off his, his sandals. Uh, this image that we are presented with of this flame being correlated with the holiness of this place is, is the first image that we see where fire is presented as something other than uh, being used in sacrifices or in judgment. And so the This idea that God's holiness is expressed in fire (coughs) also leads us to see that anything that is not holy would then be consumed. Uh, And so we will start to look at applications of how uh, that which is not holy is burned up and that which is holy is left. Uh, We also see in, in Exodus 19 Another image of the Lord appearing in fire in the pillar of fire resting on Mount Sinai, covered in clouds when the Lord brings the Ten Commandments to Moses. Uh, and it was so glorious, so holy, that when Moses returned from the mountain, even his, his face shone with the glory of the Lord. And so this, this instance where the Ten Commandments is given is also where we see the not just the condemnation of the wicked in, in flame, but also the presentation of <coughs> the Lord's righteous judgment through fire. His holiness comes down as fire, and in his state he presents to the people the law, the, the law whereby they will all know what God now expects of them and how God will judge them, leaving them without excuse when they trespass against him. And the final image that we see where the Lord descends as fire is when the pillar of fire rested over the tabernacle by night and the cloud by day. And so what this also shows us is that this pillar of fire of God's holiness was a symbol to all those who saw the children of Israel in the desert as a distinct, a separate, a set apart, or as we see it in the Bible, a sanctified people. This fire also sanctified the children of Israel. It put them in a position where they could not forget that God was in their very midst. And we also find that God has chosen fire as his, his method of worship. We we mentioned briefly that f- fire is used in sacrifices, and that's one of the most common ways that we see fire in, in the Bible. And these sacrifices were to be burned in order to be accepted. If it, if if a burnt offering was not burnt, then it was not a sacrifice by its very definition. And therefore, the sacrifice would not be accepted and its purpose would not be accomplished. Uh, And and the person who was offering would be subject to judgment if he were to die without having his sins covered. Um, And because these people had the law, they were without excuse for failing to fulfill also this part of the law. Uh, we read in Leviticus uh, chapter 6, if you'll turn there, that the fire that burned on the altar, even that fire was was special to God. It was not to be... Uh, mixed with fire from outside the camp, but was to burn continuously. We'll read in verse 12 of Leviticus chapter 6, And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it. It shall not be put out, and the priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and lay the burnt offering in order upon it, and he shall burn thereof the fat of the peace offerings. And the fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall not go out. So this fire that was... On the altar, we see that its, its continual burning is a symbol of, to us of God's perpetual holiness. The perpetual fire on the altar is a perpetual holiness. That fire was holy. It was separate and set apart for a specific purpose. And those purposes were to offer sacrifices and to burn incense which we also find in Leviticus 16 that this incense that was burned the way that God intended it was a sweet-smelling savor, but only when it was burned according to to God's ways. And we'll look at an example where that was not the case in a little bit. We also find that fire was used in rituals outside of the sacrifices. The, The Passover lamb we read about in Exodus 12 was not to be boiled, it was not to be eaten raw. The only way that the angel of death would pass over a house in Egypt was if that lamb were burnt. The, the lamb had to be um, burnt. And, and again, we see that this is an, an image of cleansing and of separation. Uh, this distinct way that the animal was to be prepared was to show the Israelites that there is a distinction between them and the Egyptians and those around them We also find in Leviticus chapter 13 regarding leprosy that the clothes of a man who became a leper were to be burned Um, the 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 illness of leprosy is a symbol to us of sin. Um, we see that very clearly uh, throughout the Bible, both Old and New Testament, and that's why it's such a, a big deal when Jesus heals the lepers in the New Testament, in the Gospels. And this, this utter defiling that occurred in the body when leprosy was contracted was so severe that the person had to be put out of the camp, lest they defile the camp. Even his clothes had to be burnt because they could not be reused. There was no longer any use for the covering of a person who had leprosy. Even the clothes themselves became defiled. And so this fire, again, is, is cleansing the the children of Israel. And A man who was to make a Nazarite vow, as we read in Numbers chapter 6. In fact, let's turn there. Numbers chapter 6, and we'll begin reading in verse 13 regarding uh, one who was taking a Nazarite vow. And this is the law of the Nazarite, when the days of his separation are fulfilled. He shall be brought unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and he shall offer his offering unto the Lord, one lamb of the first year without blemish for a burnt offering, and one ewe of the first year without blemish for a sin offering, and one ram without blemish for peace offerings. And a basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mingled with oil, and wafers of unleavened bread anointed with oil, and their meat offering and their drink offerings. And the priest shall bring them before the Lord, and shall offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. And he shall offer the ram for a sacrifice of peace offering unto the Lord with the basket of unleavened bread. The priest shall shall offer also his meat offering and his drink offering. And the Nazarite shall shave the head of his separation at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and shall take the hair of his head of his separation and put it in the fire, which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. So the idea of a person taking a Nazarite vow was a willing gesture by an individual to commit their life wholly to the worship of the Lord for a predetermined amount of time. And one of the um, obligations of the Nazarite was to not let any razor touch his head, either his face or his, or his head. And, and so even as the, the hair of this Nazarite grew while under this vow, uh, his hair, too, was consecrated unto God. And that's a very interesting picture because we see in the New Testament that hair is a symbol of glory. A person who was shaven would be ashamed uh, that's why women are to have their heads covered because it is, it is bringing glory to something other than Christ when we meet. It is, it is focusing on the glory of a person rather than the glory of the Lord. And so when this Nazarite would shave his head at the end of the days of his separation, of his consecration, his glory would be given to the Lord. Just as his life had been given to the Lord for that period of time, we find that um, this reminder uh, to us is that all that we do once we have given our lives to Christ is to bring him glory. Uh, We, it is. It is not our goal in life to to heap praise upon ourselves anymore. We are not called to glory in ourselves, but to do all for the glory of Christ. And this is a beautiful picture to us that even in the Old Testament, looking forward, we can see that the, the total commitment to the Lord, made by a Nazarite. And the way that his glory is, is offered to the Lord um, at the end of his days would be for no other purpose than to bring glory to the Lord and to detract from himself. The same way that John the Baptist told his disciples that he must increase, that one greater would, uh, he, would he must decrease, so that one greater increase so with a with a little bit of an understanding about uh, how God views this symbol of fire uh, we are going to um, look at some instances of people uh, who were who were judged by this fire of the Lord Uh, the obvious example is of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19 the, the cities were destroyed with fire and brimstone for their wickedness. The, the, the plagues in Egypt, uh, many people sort of gloss over this, but when the Lord sent hail uh, upon the Egyptians in Exodus chapter 9, it was actually hail that was mingled with fire. Uh, it, was, it was hailstones that came down and didn't just break things. As we see modern hail, these weren't simple balls of ice, but flaming balls of ice. So when it struck a crop field, the crop field would also be consumed. This, this was not a simple run-of-the-mill uh, hailstorm, but a very clear judgment from God. And what I would alluded to earlier about uh, burning the, the incense in the tabernacle Uh, We're going to take a look at that in Leviticus chapter 10 with the very familiar story of Aaron's sons Nadab and Abihu who, who did not bring in the fire from off the altar to offer incense but brought in strange fire. Reading from verse 1 And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, and put fire thereon, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come near to me. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said unto them, come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them on their coats out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said unto Aaron, and unto Eleazar, and unto Ithamar his sons, Uncover not your heads, neither rend your clothes, lest ye die. And lest wrath come upon all the people, but let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, beware, bewail the burning which the Lord hath kindled. And ye shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine, nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when ye go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations, and that ye may have put difference between holy and unholy, and between clean and unclean. Uh, There is much speculation about why Nadab and Abihu brought strange fire into the tabernacle. Uh, some people think that they let the fire go out on the altar. Uh, some people think that they, out of pride, thought that they could come willy-nilly before the Lord with, with fire from wherever. And uh, in much the same way that Cain came to the Lord, In Genesis with an offering that was not as the Lord had commanded him Um, but uh, I tend to think that the the first scenario is more likely that they let the fire go out because we we do read in verse 9 this interesting incident that uh, they are that the priests are commanded not to drink wine nor strong drink when they enter the the tabernacle of the congregation, uh, I think that this is a direct result of this situation that uh, if, if you were to show up to work drunk, then you were probably partying the night before, and if you were partying the night before, instead of attending the fire, then the fire probably went out. But, um, but I think that this, whether that's the, the, what really happened or not, I think that this is a relevant application uh, for us Because uh, we see that the Lord would not allow his holy place to be defiled. Um, And we see through the use of fire to judge Nadab and Abihu, we see his holiness and his righteous judgment. We see that he would uh, not allow something that was not as he had commanded it to be done in service to him uh, by bringing in strange fire and we see that uh, no one dared to uh, say to God that he had been unjust in slaying these two men. There was, there was no argument from even Aaron, his father, uh, in saying that that what his boys had done should have been accepted. He was able to recognize what was holy and what was unholy, what was clean and what was unclean, and he was told to make sure that the rest of the priests stayed that way, that they knew that difference. We see in verse ten, um, and so when, uh, and so whether whether Nadab and Abihu knew it or not they were attempting to replace God's judgment with their own as well, seeing fire as a type of judgment. If, if it is God's fire that is to be used in burning the incense, and that is a symbol of his judgment, then the way that he judges is, is a way that he portrays his glory. And so if someone attempts to recreate that with with earthly judgment, with fleshly judgment out of their own heart. They are replacing God and putting themselves as the head of, of, of their lives, of this situation. Uh, and this tends to be uh, a problem with the church as a whole uh, today, the church around the world. Um, People have stopped looking to God for direction in their lives. They think that God, like Nadab and Abihu, can be approached with whatever they have to offer, that, um, that, that God does not demand um, holiness anymore, that because of his love, he will not, he will not judge. But we see very clearly that at the end of time, the whole earth will be judged. He might not be doing it now the way he did then where people are being struck down, but we will be judged for the way that we treat his, his work, his people, and our own lives, and, and how, we, how, we, um, how we maintain that if we keep it clean or if we allow uncleanness to enter in, as Naadab and Abihu did. And we will um, look a little bit more in depth at that in a little bit. And uh, and some of the other examples of people being judged are uh, by fire are the city of Jericho. Once Jericho was was leveled and all of the inhabitants slain along with their animals, the city was burned. The city had no use to anyone. The, The Lord had cursed the city. But uh, a more interesting incident occurs in the following chapter, in Joshua chapter 7, if you will turn there. In Joshua 7, we find the, the story of when the Israelites attempt to take Ai, the, the city after Jericho, and they find themselves defeated. And what we, uh, what we see here is the conversation between Joshua and the Lord as to why the children of Israel, excuse me, were, were defeated. We will begin reading in verse 10 of Joshua chapter seven. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel hath sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have been ever taken of the accursed thing, for they have even taken of the accursed thing, excuse me, and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except ye destroy the accursed from among you. Up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in the midst of thee. O Israel thou canst not stand before thine enemies until ye take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning therefore ye shall be ye shall be brought according to your tribes and it shall be that the tribes which the Lord taketh shall come according of the families thereof and the family which the Lord shall take shall come by households and the household which the Lord shall take shall come man by man. And we will skip down to verse 24. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver and the garment, and the wedge of gold, and his sons, and his daughters, and his oxen, and his asses, and his sheep, and his tent, and all that he had, and they brought them unto the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones, and burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Uh, we read in verse 13 that we are brought back to sanctification, the idea of being set apart and separate, separated for a purpose. Uh, <clears throat> and the children of Israel, we read, were not sanctified just one time, but repeatedly <clears throat> throughout their history. Um, and that's the same way in the Christian life. Uh, we too need uh, cleansing when we have been made clean by doing things in our in our day-to-day lives. Uh, sometimes we 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 touch dead people, and by that I don't mean bodies, but we allow our old man, the flesh, uh, the one that we have been called to to mortify or put to death in Colossians chapter three. We allow him to to come up and to. To hold sway over our actions instead of the Lord and and we need to be sanctified we need to be cleansed of that and brought back uh, to God and the only way for Israel in this instance to sanctify themselves was to burn what had defiled the camp Uh, Achan was burned not just by himself but along with his whole family and all of his possessions um, because he was not the only one who sinned, but his family had sinned in that it's kind of hard to hide a hole in the ground in the middle of your tent where he had buried his stuff. And and so his, his family would have been privy to this knowledge and yet not brought it up before the leaders of Israel. Not only that, but he was burned with his possessions. And these were the things that he put before God in his life. He would not put the the commandments of God ahead of his his greed and his envy for these these objects. He was not able to see the beauty of the glory of God, but was interested in, in what many pastors have called pavement in heaven. When you've got streets lined with gold, uh, what are you doing putting it in your pocket? You know, that's why we're told to, that wherever you lay up your treasure there, your heart is also. And so, if we're not striving for heavenly treasure all we're we're striving for is is dust it's all going to be rusted moth eaten and stolen when we're gone and there's no point to it and so up until this point uh, we've been looking at fire as, as God's holiness and how anything that is not holy gets consumed by fire, so it begs the question, well, what happens to, <coughs> to uh, someone who is faithful to God who comes in contact with this fire? Uh, and the best comparison that that we can come up with is given to us in the Bible as the, the refining process of silver. Uh, silver, when it is mined, it does not come out of the ground as the shiny substance that you see your forks and spoons made out of but it is, it is a very dirty, raw material. And in order for it to be refined, the, the metal workers have to create an intense heat and dump all of the raw copper into a big pot over the fire and allow all of these chemicals mixed in with the fire, all of these substances to melt down And because the silver is heavier than these other substances, the silver settles to the bottom. And what is called the dross, everything that is not usable, that is not silver, rises to the top and is scraped off of that molten silver. But unless that silver is heated to the point where it becomes molten, this separation does not occur. And so when we talk about sanctification, as being set apart and separated we can think of it this same way it's not going to be an easy process for us to be separated from our old nature that's why it's called our nature it is within us to to act this way according to our own desires and not according to the will of God Um, and so these, these people that we're going to examine faced uh, very trying times in order for them to, to get to the point where they were refined and ready for the master craftsman to have a, a material that he could actually use. So the first one we, we might think about is not necessarily directly affected by fire. But when we think about Abraham being asked to sacrifice his son Isaac in Genesis chapter 2, the Lord tells him to take fire and fuel, but no sacrifice, obviously because his son Isaac was to be the sacrifice. And all of these uh, all of these trials that Abraham went through leading up to this <coughs> were to prepare him for this final test, because when we read in Hebrews in chapter 11 about the about the men of faith, uh, we find that Abraham lived by faith and that it was this act of obedience to the Lord that was counted to him for righteousness. His final submission to the Lord, giving up the thing that the Lord had promised to him, was what the Lord counted to him for righteousness. We also find in 2 Kings chapter 2 that the prophet Elijah was deemed worthy not to die but to be brought up to heaven, and we find that the method in which he was taken up was in a chariot of fire. Uh, He was not consumed by this fire because the Lord had determined that Elijah had lived a life pleasing to God. He had uh, devoted himself to the work of God to be God's mouthpiece. Isaiah also, uh, in chapter 6, it describes a vision in which an angel appears to him and tells him that he is, to, um, he is to be the Lord's mouthpiece to Israel. And in order for him to do that, his lips had to be sanctified by the angel placing a burning coal on his lips. Now, this was in chapter 6, and Isaiah had already been prophesying. So was everything that Isaiah said up till that point a lie? Well, no but but the lord could not fully use him if he was not fully his there were words that isaiah uh, would speak out of his own spirit and not out of god's spirit if he were not to to have undergone this sanctification process and finally we see shadrach meshach and abednego in daniel chapter 3 who refused to bow to the to the king nebuchadnezzar and were instead cast into this furnace but the lord was pleased with the way that they had uh, refused the the riches and the privileges of their position in babylon in favor of serving the lord and so they were spared as well there were others who who received signs and symbols from heaven in the in the in the fashion of fire when we see in 2 Chronicles 7, that when Solomon dedicated the temple, there was no fire on the altar. There hadn't been fire continually burning on an altar uh, because they they had replaced the tabernacle with the temple. And so God actually sends fire from heaven to ignite that altar. And it is a symbol of his acceptance of. the the offering that Solomon has made to God in the form of this temple. Elijah also, when he challenges the prophet of Baal in 1 Kings 18, the fire from God comes down and consumes not only the sacrifice, but the altar as well that had been soaked in water. Uh, Again, we find the favor of God accepting these sacrifices with fire. But the, the passage that I want to take a look at in and the New Testament that applies to us, I think, is in First Corinthians chapter 3, and we're pretty much out of time, but I'm going to push on anyways, because I didn't do all the groundwork just to skip over on the best part of the application. We're going to be reading in First Corinthians 3 and verse 10. <clears throat> According to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another man buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide with he hath built there built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned up, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the spirit of god dwelleth in you if any man defile the temple of god him shall god destroy for the temple of god is holy which temple ye are let no man deceive you if any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world let him become a fool that he may be wise for the wisdom of god for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with god for it is written he taketh the wise in their own craftiness And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether of Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours, and ye are Christ's, and Christ is God's. So in these first three chapters of Corinthians, to give you some context, Paul is speaking about the three uh, types of men that we find in the Bible, uh, and those three types are the natural man, the one who has <coughs> no knowledge of God, who, who, who runs his own life according to his fleshly desires, the second is the spiritual man, who, who's, who has put God in a position of authority in his life, and thirdly, we find the carnal man who knows the Lord but has decided to continue in uh, living for himself anyways. And in the middle of chapter three, he now begins talking to these people, trying to convince them of the importance of living as the spiritual man and not as the carnal man. And he describes the Christian life in the first part of the chapter as uh, being co-laborers in farming. Then we see uh, that they are co-laborers together in building, something that I, I touched on the last time I spoke. But we now look at the, the types of materials used in the, in the building, the building that, that these Christians are building. And these buildings are, are their lives, these buildings are the church, and these buildings are the ministry. Uh, and we find evidence for those as we read on, but we won't have time to get into it. <laughs> but when, when each person's building is tested by fire, and we're promised that it will be, that the materials that we have built will be judged. Uh, if we have chosen to build with wood, hay, and stubble, all of that's very flammable and will be burnt up in an instant with the heat of God's holy fire. But the, the, the gold, silver, and precious stones will be further refined. They will be honed by the heat of that fire and the impurities will be burned off. And so if we are going through a, a time of, of testing and we are finding ourselves <coughs> hurting, we are finding ourselves being pushed to a limit that we weren't sure that we could be pushed to, then it says that um, in verse in verse uh, 15, if any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. If we're feeling that we are at a loss when, when we're being tested, it's because there was something in our lives that God couldn't use in us. There was something holding us back from serving him. There was something that um, there was something that we had set up in our in our lives that was not a good testimony. Uh, we can think of the children's story. the three little pigs and the big bad wolf blew down the houses of straw and of sticks but God's an awful lot bigger than the big, big, big bad wolf. He's coming with a torch, uh, and and so if we haven't built wisely, as Paul calls us to do, then then our our houses will be burned, so that we can start again, with nothing but that foundation. And so that's why it's so critical to have a firm foundation, as we talked about last time. Because if you're building on dirt, then you're left with nothing, when when you when you've been tried by fire, and so in in verse sixteen, we see why it's so critical for us to have a, a house that is pleasing to God, and it is because we are the temple of God, and His spirit dwells within us. That's why it's so critical for us not to defile this temple lest we lest we face the fire and and so, it's it's not a it's not a secret thing when we when we face the fire of the lord's testing there are different compounds that burn very differently if if you take a piece of wood that still has the bark and the sap in it you're going to get a fire that's very smoky but not very hot if you take a piece of magnesium and you can actually light it on fire you'll get a flame that will actually blind you if you hold a piece of copper in a fire you actually get a flame that's green and certain ga- certain chemicals burn hotter they burn with different color with different cleanliness if you burn pure rubbing alcohol the flame is actually invisible uh, that's why it's so dangerous because you might not even know that you're being burned if, if you get an alcohol burn uh, they make sure in chemistry class that you're very careful and so There are different indicators that are thrown up when we're we're facing this testing. The way that we react to this will also show. There There might be symbols in our lives where there's a very dirty fire. Everyone can see the smoke billowing up, that means there's a lot of impurity in whatever's being burned. If there's a very bright, very hot, clean fire, then there's a refining process going on where what is being burned up is actually being purified, and so all of these things are are hopefully applicable to you in some way as you as you go through your uh, christian life and I hope that uh, you can see these testings in your life, and that as Paul puts it to Timothy, that you will recognize that these things are being done to you that that you may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And that is our ultimate goal to to be able to live a life where we will bring glory to the Lord. With that, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word whereby we might know your character. We pray, Lord, that we would live our lives in a manner that is pleasing to you. We pray that we would seek to be, to be set apart and to cleanse our lives from all unrighteousness uh, by your power. Uh, we pray, Lord, that we would seek to glorify you in all that we do. And that uh, as we go throughout this week, that we would be reminded of your holiness and your righteousness. And that we would return again next week uh, and that your spirit would move among us as your word is opened once again.